0: Criminal Behaviorology, to assist the criminal and civil justice systems, to improve our society, a podcast like no other. Here is your host, Timothy Joseph. Hello, welcome to the show, Criminal Behaviorology. If you are interested in helping out and you go on the Anchor site, then you can go ahead. Here's the Anchor site. And here, here's my site, uh, Criminal Behaviorology, and talks about it. You can write it behaviorology at gmail.com. You can go to support right here, and you become a supporter. Ninety nine a month, for, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna make it worth your while. That's gonna be coming up soon. I'm gonna make that very much worth your while that you want to uh, you want to attend and be a paid sponsor. If not, that's okay too. But all all proceeds go to help the podcast and to support criminal behaviorology. All right, this is Halloween. Just imagine some spooky Halloween music. And I did come across this particular article. It is in the Washington Post. It's off a journal article that I have over here. This is, What If Horror Movies Actually Stop Crime, Not Cause It? And this analysis by uh, Catherine L. Milkman, October twenty seventh, 2017. Halloween is in the air, and so is the Hollywood tradition of horror films screening in theaters across the country. This annual ritual prompts another, a debate over whether violent scenes on screen inspire real-life violence off screen. The debate is usually between those who consider such films dangerous and indeed survey studies by psychologists, suggest copycat violence is possible and those who hold they're harmless. Well, those two extremes. But what if when it comes to preventing real-life violence, horror films are actually helpful? That's why economists Gordon Dahl and uh, Stefano Delvinia, I believe it's pronounced, found when they analyzed the impact of different blockbuster movies released in the United States over a decade According to their analysis, for every million people who view a violent film on a given day, violent crime decreases across the nation by 1.2%. Well, that's something. To put this, to put this in perspective, this year's Halloween blockbuster, Happy Death Day, I have to look that up, pulled almost 4 million people during its opening weekend. To put in other terms, the researchers estimate that on a weekend, when an average number of viewers go see violent movie, movies, the films deter nearly a thousand assaults. How is this possible? According to Dahl and uh, DeLavinia, people who might otherwise commit crimes are drawn into the movie theaters when a violent film is released and so aren't available to commit assaults. In addition, the economists found violent film attendance led to a particularly large decreases in assaults involving alcohol and drugs, and it had a large deterrent effect for potential offenders just above the legal drinking age. This suggests that violent films prevent crime in part by reducing potential criminals' alcohol consumption. Since few movie theaters allow alcohol on their premises, thank goodness. Importantly, though studying the long-term effects of violent films on crime wasn't possible in this context, researchers found, quote, no evidence of medium-run effects up to three weeks after initial exposure, unquote, to violent films. These findings should ease fears about the impact of horror film releases on criminal behavior this Halloween. And every other day of the year, but they also offer a key insight about fighting crime. They suggest that creating attractive diversions for prospective criminals, like opportunities to watch violent films and theaters, can reduce violence. A recent small study conducted in Cape Town, South Africa, by the nonprofit behavioral science consultancy Ideas 42, relied on this very same insight that attractive diversions can be used to fight crime, to tremendous effect. In the study, 156 low-income, at-risk youth in Cape Town were randomly assigned to either a control group that went about their lives as usual, or an intervention group that interacted with a computer program designed to help them find and plan fun, safe weekend activities. The program presented users with a series of different suggested weekend pastimes, like starting up a pickup soccer game until a suggestion was accepted, a preference. Then it helped a user plan where, when, and with whom they would enjoy the suggested activity. That kind of thing is done in all kinds of treatments with doing a preference assessment and then having a preferred activity. But we'll go on. Survey data showed that youths randomly assigned to the intervention group were half as likely to participate in unsafe activities over the following weekend and half as likely to experience violence relative to the control group. This The success of this small pilot program suggests huge opportunities for fighting crime by finding and suggesting appealing activities to prospective criminals that can, quote, substitute, unquote, for getting into trouble, that can offer a replacement behavior. A more general lesson from these studies is that an understanding of the psychology of violence, for instance, that it often results from unoccupied time on Friday and Saturday nights, can suggest useful tactics for reducing it. This can add to the arsenal of traditional approaches used for fighting crime like better or more policing and stiffer penalties. A fascinating paper published earlier this year by a team of economists and psychologists offers yet another example of how understanding the psychology of crime can be useful to crime prevention efforts. This paper examines a program called Becoming a Man. Bam. Designed by the nonprofit group Youth Guidance that was rolled out to a random sample of 4804 students in a very disadvantaged in very disadvantaged neighborhoods on the south and west sides of Chicago in 2009, 2010, and 2013 and 2015. BAM reduced total arrests among those randomly assigned to participate in the program by 28% to 35% and violent crime arrests by 45% to 50%. What's amazing about BAM is not just its effectiveness, but the secret sauce that led to its success. Like many programs designed for at-risk youth, BAM involved regular interactions with an adult mentor as well as in-school and after-school programming. However, an unusual aspect of BAM was the inclusion of curriculum content that taught participants how to avoid mistakes that people commonly make when they think too quickly or act too impulsively. Or as the researchers studying BAM put it, content, quote, designed to reduce common judgment and decision-making problems related to automatic behavior and biased beliefs, unquote. An evaluation of why BAM worked so well suggests it didn't change the students' access to adult supporters' understanding of the returns to education, conscientiousness, social skills, or emotional intelligence. Instead, a key ingredient was that it helped teenagers, an age group that tends to be particularly impulsive, we knew that already, learn to, quote, slow down in high-stakes settings and re-examine their automatic assumptions, unquote. The researchers evaluating BAM developed a simulated provocation and looked at how BAM participants responded relative to students who hadn't gone through the program. All students were given $10 and told another student partner had also been given $10. The partner could take away some of the students allocated $10. Okay. Via walkie-talkie communication, each student learned their partner had decided to take six dollars from them. They tricked them. In reality, there was no partner, only a researcher posing as one. Students then had the opportunity to retaliate by taking money from their partner, but they knew this would be a multi-round interaction so retaliation could lead to a vicious cycle. The BAM students took 80% longer than others to respond to the provocation of having $6 taken from them, suggesting they had learned to slow down and think rather than merely reacting on first impulse. And reacting on impulse is a well-known cause of suboptimal decisions, likely decisions to commit crimes. The team evaluating BAM found that in areas where BAM was most effective at crime prevention, this slowing down effect was largest, and they estimated that reduced automaticity accounted for, quote, about a third of the total effect of BAM, unquote, on arrests. Together, these findings from behavioral science are cause for celebration. They suggest new, highly effective ways to reduce crime and improve the lives of potential victims and criminals alike. This Halloween season, as you shudder in fear at the sight of spooky costumes or scenery from scary movies, remember that real horrors can be reduced not only with improved approaches to law enforcement, but also with a little insight into the psychology of crime. Well that's uh that's very interesting. This this is the actual article. Does movie violence increase uh violent crime? Gordon Dahl and uh, Stefano uh Delavinia. And that is uh in the quarterly Journal of Economics, May two thousand nine is back when that was written. Laboratory experiments in this abstract in psychology find that media violence increases aggression in the short run. We analyze whether media violence affects violent crime in the field. We exploit variation in the violence of blockbuster movies from 1995 to 2004, and the study and study the effect on same-day assaults. We find that violent crime decreases on days with larger theater audiences for violent movies. This effect is partly due to voluntary incapacitation. Between 6 p.m. and 12 a.m., a 1 million increase in the audience for violent movies reduces violent crime by 1.1% to 1.3%. After exposure to the movie between 12 a.m. and 6 a.m., violent crime is reduced by an even larger percent. This finding is explained by the self-selection of violent individuals into violent movie attendance, leading to a substitution away from more volatile activities. In particular, movie attendance appears to reduce alcohol consumption. This result The results emphasize that media exposure affects behavior not only via content, but also because it changes the time spent in alternative activities. The substitution away from more dangerous activities in the field can explain the differences with laboratory findings. Our estimates suggest that in the short run, violent movies deter almost a thousand assaults on an average weekend. Although our design does not allow us to estimate long-term run effects, we find no evidence of medium-run effects up to three weeks after initial exposure. And I'm gonna help you by skipping through a whole bunch of the technical stuff that you find in these kinds of journal articles, which is quite valuable of course, but not the best thing for a podcast, and go right to the conclusion Conclusion of Does Movie Violence Increase Violent Crime? We have provided causal evidence on the short-run effect of exposure to media violence on violent crime. We exploit the natural experiment induced by time series variation in the violence of movies at the box office. We show that exposure to violent movies has three main effects on violent crime. One, it significantly reduces violent crime in the evening on the day of exposure. Two, by an even larger percent, it reduces violent crime during the night hours following exposure. And three, it has no significant impact on the days and weeks following the exposure. We interpret the first finding as voluntary incapacitation. Potential criminals that choose to attend the movie theater forego other activities that have higher crime rates. As simple as this finding is, it has been neglected in the literature. Despite its quantitative quantitative importance, we interpret the second finding as substitution away from a night of more volatile activities, in particular a reduction in alcohol consumption. The third finding implies that the same-day impact on crime is not offset by... Intertemporal substitution of crime. An important component of these interpretations is the sorting of more violent individuals into violent movie attendants. They like it. These findings appear to contradict evidence from laboratory experiments that document an increase in violent behavior following exposure to movie violence. However, the field and laboratory findings are not contradictory. Exposure to movie violence can lower violent behavior relative to the foregone alternative activity, the field finding, even if it increases violent behavior relative to exposure to nonviolent movies, the laboratory finding. In fact, we document suggestive evidence that after accounting for selection, violent movies induce more violent crime relative to nonviolent movies, consistent with an arousal effect. This example example suggests that other apparent discrepancies between laboratory and field, and they give a reference here, might be reconciled if differences in treatment and setup are taken into account. In addition, the field evidence provides a bound for the laboratory finding of an arousal effect, which we estimate in the field to be one-third as large as the time-use effect. Given that movie attendance occupies a significant portion of leisure time use, our findings imply first-order welfare effects. We can calculate the change in assaults that would occur if the audience of violent movies did not go to the movies, but instead engaged in their next best alternative. The total number of evening and nighttime assaults prevented is 997 assaults per weekend, adding up to almost 52 thousand weekend assaults prevented yearly with an estimated uh in and this is in 2007 dollars direct monetary cost inflation's got us a little bit currently of 2,217 an estimated intangible quality of life cost of 11,154 per assault to give a reference this implies a benefit of roughly 695 million each year Our estimates suggest that a strongly violent blockbuster movie such as Hannibal uh, I can tell you a story about that movie with 10.1 million viewers on opening weekend reduced assaults by 1,056 on its opening weekend which amounts to a 5.2% decrease in assaults. About half the impact of the reduction in in crime due to a cold day. The substantial short-term impact of violent movies has been overlooked by the previous literature. Of course, if strongly violent movies were banned as a matter of public policy, our estimated short-term effects could be offset partly if studios respond by producing more mildly violent movies. The degree to which this would temper our findings depends on how substitutable strongly and mildly violent movies are for each other. The substitution, however, is likely to be imperfect a regression of strongly violent movie attendance on mildly violent movie attendance, including the baseline controls, as I mentioned in Table 3, and some other statistical information. This implies that there will be substantial substitution to other non-movie activities as well. And our empirical results suggest that these non-movie activities are more conducive to violent behavior. In the paper, we find no impact of violent movies in the days and weeks following exposure. Still, our design, like the laboratory experiments, cannot address the important question about the long-run effects of exposure to movie violence. As such, this paper does not provide evidence on the long-term effects of policy limiting the level of violence allowed in the media. However, it does indicate that in the short run, these policies will likely increase violent crime because they induce substitution toward more dangerous activities. Finally, a central point of our paper is that the merits of any particular activity must be viewed relative to the next activity in utility terms. As such, our findings are relevant beyond the case of movies. For example, violent video games may well increase aggression but they also incapacitate potential offenders for a substantial period of time. More generally, we hypothesize that other activities with a controlled alcohol-free environment that attract young men such as midnight basketball should also reduce crime in the short run. Okay, so uh, that's... uh, Interesting. Uh, Mixed feelings about that one, but that's an interesting idea to have a replacement behavior and to look at the violent movies that the people who might be violent uh, would have an interest in uh, looking at. And uh, therefore, if they're looking at them at a critical time, uh, they may be less prone to violence or less. to the chain of events like drinking, partying, staying out late amongst other people that could then lead to violence. And it kind of shows how a simple behavioral intervention, when done at the right time and the right setting, the right context, can really have dramatic results. So, uh, oh, and the movie Hannibal, uh, it's uh, possible that I could be in the movie. Uh, I have to look up what year that came out. Uh, Hannibal the sequel to Silence of the Lambs I was living in Washington DC at the time and they had this big dinosaur skeleton uh, in a in the museum natural history museum I believe and uh, I was walking through there actually no um, uh, it wasn't I don't think it was a museum it was a different location but they had the big dinosaur there and it had a sign that says if you walk through here you're agreeing to be filmed in the movie Hannibal. Um so I can't sue them and claim I was an actor or something. But I looked, I've seen the movie several times and I don't see myself in it, but maybe you can look at it carefully and spot me uh uh wandering around. I looked a little different then, but uh maybe you maybe you can find me. So, all right. Uh that was uh that was our Halloween special here 2022 so uh, i'll post in the links our prior halloween specials also we always have a, a halloween theme enjoy halloween stay safe out there and i hope to see you next time uh on uh our next episode of criminal behaviorology and happy halloween This has been Criminal Behaviorology. Check us out on Podomatic.com or Anchor.fm. Please send questions, comments and requests for transcripts to criminalbehaviorology at gmail.com.